0: I remember as a little girl I would dress up and my mom would give me all these hand-me-downs I guess um, as dress-up clothes and I would dress up and I thought I looked exactly like a fairy I'm sure Uh, that might have come across differently aesthetically but I would dress up and I would make again what I thought to be the most beautiful invitations um, for a fairy tea party and I would knock on my mom's bedroom door and I wouldn't be January, I would be this fairy. And I, um, I would give her an invitation to tea um, for a fairy tea party. actually raised predominantly so my parents and my grandparents raised me my maternal grandparents um, and then a brother and we moved from Boston when I was three or four to New Hampshire but both of my parents continued working in Boston so most of my community and friends were still there nice yeah so I like never quite connected in with New Hampshire until I was like 20 and I yeah. moved and I was like, oh, there's some, there's some really wonderful things here. But as a teenager, that is not how it felt.
1: It like you had to leave to appreciate yeah. that New Hampshire was a nice place yeah. and you actually identified with it maybe more than you realized. Absolutely. Okay. Certainly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And with growing up, what, I mean, what were you like as a kid? What?
0: Um, very very gregarious right. certainly um, a bit boisterous I would say I I loved theater um, from the time I could understand the concept of dressing up that was really fun for me and putting on um, different personalities mm-hmm. um, and then I also just loved playing outside I didn't it was all it's interesting because adolescent me didn't Associate myself with liking nature, um, but the idea of spending the entire day playing in the snow or biking or um, just running around and playing make believe in the woods was the best thing for little me.
1: How did how did you evolve through your teenage years? You said you kind of like didn't identify as liking nature as much.
0: Yeah, I um, I love. Um, it was an interesting balance because the fairy tea party is definitely a good example of who I was as a little kid but also I was an absolute tomboy um, like I loved dressing up but I also was constantly climbing trees, biking climbing anything I could possibly climb running around um, and the evolution of that was was interesting into adulthood because I think you get to a certain age and you're trying to balance um, being feminine and also enjoying like playfulness in the world which I think the type of playfulness that I often identified would have been slightly maybe more masculine Um, like I played baseball on an all-boys team oh really 14
1: no 14 that's like fast pitch baseball. Yeah,
0: yeah. What position did you play? Um, right, right field. I could. I was an awful baseball player, but it was like something but, I loved. Yeah, but like
1: um, even to just be on the all boys team. Yeah. You were, you were had to be pretty good.
0: I I was um a designated hitter more than anything else.
1: Um, Which is the hard part.
0: Yeah. Well, see, I think for girls it's actually a lot easier. Or for me, I can't okay. identify all gender. But, yeah, but. Um, I was so much bigger than all of the boys at that age. Oh, at 14. (laughs) Yeah, like, I had hit puberty, like, three years before, and they were all, like, still little pewies (laughs) who were tiny and skinny. That's Um, hysterical. So I had biceps, and they didn't. Yeah. Hitting was, like, not a big deal. Fielding, my hand-eye coordination was not up to par. Um, But yeah, I think 13, 14, I was, like, I think I stopped playing when I was in, maybe it was 13. I was in sixth grade, so however old you are in sixth grade. Okay. but yeah, we had actually one of the players that I played with, who pitched against me, is now I think he plays for the Cubs now. Wow. Um, and like that was that's really fun and cool to think about now. Um, but yeah, I think trying to figure out, you know, being being playing baseball, not wanting to play softball, um, being with all the boys, having a crush on the boys, like all of that stuff was just like, how do you hold this? Like how. How does this work? Um, but yeah, I think I, I was trying to constantly toe the line and figure out what, um, just what made sense at that age, what felt good. Um, and I think. As I've learned, as I've gotten older, there's just a lot of trial and error of what doesn't work. Um, and when you're young, it's like mostly what doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: Maybe there's some lucky people who found, you know, first try, got it all right. Yeah. I've never met them.
0: Me neither. No. Um, yeah, I definitely don't identify with them. Or if I, yeah, if I ever meet them, I won't identify with them. I don't foresee. Did you
1: Did you have any idea? Um, like what you wanted to be when you grew up or who you wanted to be when you grew up, like during this time, or was that all coming into focus?
0: I'd always loved people. um, And I had always wanted to work with people. Um, People, the human experience has always been fascinating to me. Um, And I think regardless, like I, growing up I went through all of these phases. Like I was a punk rocker for a while and had like bleach blonde, spiked hair, And then I was like kind of into the hippie scene. And you know, I like wore hemp necklaces and had big curly hair. And um, straight, I was preppy for like a year and straightened my hair and shopped at Abercrombie & Fitch for a minute. And um, I think throughout all of those phases, the one thing that was um, truly me was just loving to connect with people. Um, I'm someone who's fairly extroverted, obviously. And I think being with people, working with people, always felt really right. I didn't know which modality best suited me. Um, And I only think... I think it's interesting to look back now, because when I was 13, I thought it was really edgy, and I would tell everyone I wanted to be a sex therapist. Um, the reality of that was like I had no idea what sex therapy was, um, but I thought that I, working with people, sex seemed really important to everyone as a thirteen-year-old, and um, therapy seemed important to me. Um, so sex therapy just kind of made sense. Yeah. Um, and it felt like just like I was towing the line enough to be kind of edgy for a thirteen-year-old, um, but then. You know, I'd also said I wanted to be a doctor, and I wanted to be a lawyer, I wanted to be a human rights lawyer, um, all of these things kind of um, somersaulted onto one another. And then in undergrad, I felt so confused about what I wanted to do with my life, and I just felt like I had to figure it out, and I couldn't. Um,
1: Why couldn't you? Did, you? did you feel like there there wasn't access to the reality of any of it or there weren't people like to talk to and be like, Hey, you do this thing.
0: Yeah. What's it like? Yeah, I think it was a a little bit of all of that. I I look back at undergrad I, I think a huge piece of Where it, did you go to oh I went to a school called Soka University of America. Where in the U S It is in Orange County, California. Okay, interesting. So you um, went across the country. Went across the country, yeah. Literally as far as you can get yeah. and stay in the United States. Yeah. Um, but I went to Soka University. It's an international school, so it's 50% domestic, 50% international, with um, the sister schools in Japan. So interesting. a lot of Japanese people, huh. um, whether it be Japanese-American or Japanese, native Japanese people in the school. Um, and... Being a New England American, Irish American woman, um, I was absolutely a part of the counterculture there. Okay. I stuck out like a sore thumb. Nice. Um, yeah, which was really interesting. It was, I think, I mean, to be able to have grown up as a part of. Um, the majority population where I grew up and be put myself in a situation where I was absolutely a minority really gave me a new perspective on what that means and what that looks like and how that feels Um, because it's not always fun um, at all to be the minority and I think we see that and we can understand that as um, a society that like where privilege is so unbalanced but actually being a part of a minority culture is um, a really challenging experience for sure. The Um, the
1: like he who tastes not knows not. Exactly. It's one thing to like conceptually understand someone might have a different experience. It's a different thing to like understand what that experience is.
0: Yeah, yeah. And particularly like with language when you not everyone's first language is English and you're um, trying to communicate with, like, humor or sarcasm. And it's just, like, constantly you're dropping the ball. And, it, like, no one laughs. No one thinks you're funny. You're just like, I, this was,
1: worked. Was it, was it isolating?
0: Totally. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, because
1: that's a, Yeah.
0: There were moments in undergrad where I wanted to leave. Um, and I wanted to transfer. And it was actually my partner, who um, I'm still with, who was kind of like, I think... I hear you saying that, but I also feel like you're getting a lot of really valuable life experience out of this. Um, Yeah.
1: Do, Do you have, was this period of time of like this kind of uncomfortable experience, like was it like a rite of passage in a way, or was there some other period of time or event that?
0: Yeah. I don't think. I don't know if I would associate my undergrad as a rite of passage. Okay. Yeah.
1: Where so in undergrad it sounds like there's still a lot of figuring out going on.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So you, I think your initial question was like, right, why didn't, why was it so hard to know what I wanted to do at that point? And I yeah. think a huge piece of it was I think there's just so much pressure. Yeah. When you get into undergrad, you're spending so much money, um, and you like are accruing for me. I was accruing these student loans and this debt, and it was like. Well, fuck, I need to figure out exactly what I need to do. And I wasn't. Um, and that was really hard. It was just so much pressure. Um, and I remember my sophomore year, I was, I definitely like that particular moment in my life, I can identify as like one of, not the only times, but I, I definitely was depressed at that point in my life. And I was like trying to figure out how do I become this adult that my adolescent self envisioned myself as. And I think, I don't know if there's a graceful way to do that. Um, and I definitely wasn't graceful, but I was really trying to figure it out and negotiate You know what, what I felt supported by creatively, how I could work with people, um, what resources I had academically, financially, um, locationally, human to human interaction wise, just like what what were all of my resources and how could I best use them to become this adult that I had envisioned myself as? I think that's an insane question to pose when you're 20 years old. Um, yeah.
1: Did you, like if you had to define, um, even if it wasn't during this time, you mm-hmm. know, sometime after like an inflection point where whether it be an event or just a change of perspective was there like a point that you can identify where things kind of changed or started going a different direction
0: there were a couple okay yeah, yeah. I, I feel like in my head I can note like three areas where I was like
1: yeah tell me about them
0: um, the first one would have been um, so I mentioned in the beginning that I was raised kind of absolutely by my parents but also with a lot of support from my grandparents, uh-huh. and when we were when I was ten, fifth grade, eleven, um, we moved into a house all together. And um, when I was fourteen, my grandfather passed away. And then when I was seventeen, um, my grandmother kept telling us she was gonna die, and we were like, no, you're not. like no, you're not. Um, and so, my junior year of high school, she started to she decided she was dying. Um, and so it was October. Um, yeah, it was like a week after my birthday. My birthday's October 2nd. And she um, stopped eating. And so we got a hospice bed and we started taking care of her. And I um, am so grateful for that point in my life because it's giving me such great perspective as I've gotten older. Um, but my mom and I, uh, were her primary caregivers and so throughout there was about a month process of her death um, we you know I slept on the couch next to her and just cared for her and gave her topical morphine and changed her diaper and all of those things that she did to me, not the topical morphine as an infant, but um, the changing of the diaper and the care um, and I was able to kind of see that side of life And I think that gave me a really great perspective of just, um, or maybe not perspective, but intensity at that age of wanting, of understanding what death looked like. Um, And then in college, I ended up um, studying abroad in Ecuador and was working at this clinic where I had initially wanted to volunteer. But at the time there was this great resident doctor who um, he was basically like are you actually interested in medicine and at the time I was I was like maybe this is the area where I can help people Um, and he was like if you're interested in medicine being a volunteer and just pushing papers around like that's not gonna do you any good I recommend basically like becoming an apprentice and more or less like staging with the doctors um, which would not be allowed in the United States but they were just really open and welcome to that idea. Um, And so I started working in the clinic following around the resident doctors and then um, really got connected with the chief of obstetrician. Um, He and I just like really connected well and he started letting me follow the doulas um, in the neonatal ward. And I ended up working as a doula there. Um, And so this connection of like birth and death and the intensity of it really solidified like how those moments carry so much weight but also this idea of like the dash in between birth and death Um, and as I get older I think about that and I think about working with both birth and death and there's so much time in between if we choose to take it um, and I think through those experiences I really started to get that peace. Um, and as I get older, I'm 27, so not very old at all, um, I just really get connected into the fact that we have a lot of time and it's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So like a comfort in in the in-between.
0: Yeah. kind of.
1: It doesn't need to all be figured out right now. There's a continual process of of honing in
0: mm-hmm.
1: on, on, okay, this is a little better. Oh, that's a little worse. Exactly. Like, we're a little bit closer. This is exactly it, but I feel like I'm moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think as I've gotten older, the perspective piece with death, um, having been there for both of my grandparents and then working in the clinic and seeing people who are getting really sick. Um, I, and having people that I've loved be really close to the, like, on the line of, of being alive or not being alive. Um, when people are dying, they're not thinking of how much reading they did for class. They're thinking about how they spent their, like how they're enjoying, how they've enjoyed their life. Who have they loved? Who have they had fun days with and made love to? And what sort of adventures have they had in the world? Um, how have they spent time with their family? And seeing that up close and, and seeing it in the people I love, but also in people that I haven't known very well, I think really has, is a constant reminder. And I need, as someone who like, tends to be the person who's in school trying to do 300 pages of reading for grad school right now, I have to take a step back and be like, oh right, remember that we have this big dash and we can use that time how we see fit.
1: So different when you describe it that way, as far as the when someone's close to that, mm-hmm. everything that doesn't matter falls away. Yeah, and whatever it is that they really have fond memories of or regret, it's that's the real answer. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and I wonder too if. it's great that you had these opportunities to like have that as a society we kind of have decapitated ourselves from a lot of elderly and not hearing that voice of reason that says you know this this might be a mistake but it sounds like you really want to do it and they're like 90 so they know that you're 25 and hey whatever (laughs) happens will probably be fine Yeah, you know take a year and see what happens like yeah. that's a very valuable perspective that you no matter how smart you are or how much you know or how much money you have or whatever status you have you're not 95 years old no like there's no there isn't another way to get that exactly
0: no absolutely <laughs> absolutely I think that's we are such a youth centric society yeah. in the United States and we don't I think um, so my family were Irish and my grandparents immigrated here and and um, it's very cultural that you would have your... that you would have a three genera- three generations in a single household. Like, that's not an insane idea uh-huh. in so many other countries. Um, and it wasn't... When you grow up with that, it's not weird. Yeah. You know, it's just absolutely... For me, it was normal, if anything, it was strange to me that all of my friends had these insular little nuclear families with two people or three people or four people. Um, and... I see how I I don't want to say I didn't appreciate it in the moment, but as a 15-year-old, it's hard to take what an 85-year-old is saying and hold on to it and be like, this is, this is a solid gem of wisdom. Um, but I just feel so grateful that I can look back and connect to those moments and be like, wow, when Grandma was telling me this story or like when she was giving me shit for this like i i have that closeness to her um and even though she's dead like i definitely can connect into that and just i recently had a dream about her actually which was so fascinating when people who have passed come to you in that world um and connecting with her um Just at like a spirit level, spiritual level. I don't necessarily, you know, dreams are something that different people can make lots of different things of. But having a strong memory of her essence is so encouraging.
1: Yeah, it's a good way to put it. With all of that, with having having had these experiences and then working as the doula, mm-hmm. like did this lead directly into like a decision then, or kind of like a? Absolutely not. Okay, good. good. No, I, I, it sounded like it could have. Yeah, no, but no, like of not course, at all. Of course not at all. No, yeah.
0: no. Um, I, I not. I just wondering more.
1: if there was an epiphany. No. And, no. Good. No, perfect. I mean,
0: I think. You had asked, "What was it? If it was a pivot, pivotal moment, or, or like an inflection point?" Yeah, I think my experience is there's never been like one point. Yeah, there. Like, yeah, you know, like it's just like there's these ripples, and yeah. those were like some significant ripples for me. Um.
1: <laughs> the, yeah, the the question isn't for reality, but it, it gives you the idea. Totally. Of...
0: <laughs> um.
1: It was a Tuesday and mm-hmm. I woke up and I said, this is it. Yeah. This is the first day of the rest of my life. Absolutely. And from there, everything has been great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, that would be fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we'd be missing a core component of being human though, if that's how it worked for somebody. Oh, um, certainly. But yeah, I, I actually, I graduated undergrad. Um, and my, my relationship with my partner has also been really Pivotal, I would say um, that's another big ripple yeah uh, he and I have been together since I was 19 oh wow um, we're getting married nice cool. congratulations thank you um, and he so we were really we met when I was 17 and I moved to California to be in school and we um, wrote letters back and forth for like a year and we're just really good friends Um, he was
1: back in new hampshire
0: yeah he went to he was at the university of new hampshire and i i he was a sophomore and i was a freshman at soca and we were phone awkward for sure and just friends so we were writing letters and sending like, just super old-fashioned, like, sending books to each other. And oh, is very cute. Yeah, we'd call each other on one another's birthdays, but that was pretty much it. And we were both seeing other people, um, yeah. so it was, it was fine. But, um, yeah, we ended up getting together, and...
1: How did... How, did Tell me more. Is this, did he come out to California? Did you? Were you back home? I was. Did so, someone finally say, "Hey, this is let's call this what it is"?
0: I said that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, um, I feel proud of this story. But I was home for my first Christmas break from college, and we got together, and I just like been totally pining away for him. Um, his name's Jake, and we. We got together at a Barnes and Noble to like get coffee, um, and of course, like I'm nine, No, I was I was 18, um, so I think I'm pretty grown up. But like, again, perspective is an amazing thing. Um, and at the Barnes and Noble, things weren't like completely connecting, and I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I've been diluting myself. Like, maybe we aren't super connected. It's just this letter writing thing. It's very romantic and I'm romanticizing it. Um, And we went back to his parents' house because when you're 18 and you're home for Christmas break, you're with your parents. Yeah. And um, his parents had a fireplace and we were sitting at the fireplace drinking tea. And we got into this conversation about um, just about life and what we wanted out of life and um, settling In particular and how we saw so many people who had graduated college who were moving back to the towns they grew up in or and not that there's anything wrong with that but that for us that would have felt a little bit like settling to like move to suburban New Hampshire and um, get a job in like a tech company or in wherever um, and just start a family at 25 which I think there are a lot of uh, both of our peers who were doing that and we were just—we got into this conversation about how we didn't want to settle, and the next thing I looked at the clock and it was like four in the morning, and we'd been having this like totally philosophical conversation about our lives, the dreams of our life. Um, and I—I I left with the knowledge that I didn't know the next time I was going to see him. Um, I had been contemplating like traveling over the summer and working for a family in South America, um, and so. I had no idea like when I was gonna be with this person in the flesh again, and I left, and it was like so cold out, and it's New Hampshire in December, so it's like frozen. It was like ten degrees maybe, and I got in my car and I like drove down to the end of his driveway, and I stopped and I turned and I called him. and was like, hey, can I just see you for one more second? I'm sure it was like a matter of like having had two cups of coffee at one in the morning and. Not having slept for probably 24 hours, that gave me the scumption. But I like went into the house and was just like, I he was dating someone, and I was like, I know you're seeing someone right now, and I have no desire to like, edge in on that. But I love you, and I think we're gonna spend our lives together, and I would really regret not saying that to you. And I'm terrified right now, but I need you to know that. And. I remember he's really tall and he has like really big hands and he like took my hands and I just remember staring at her Thumbs and my entire body was shaking like I was so mortified a um, rejection obviously and so many other things but he um, took my hands and I was like looking at our thumbs and his I was just like in awe everything felt like it was in slow motion and his thumbs were so much bigger than mine and I was just like looking at that and He said, I think you're right. And we hugged and said we'd see each other when we saw each other. Um, And then six months later, we started dating. You should be proud of that. I, I'm a little proud of that. Um, it's funny now because we're, we're um, spending our lives together, and he's definitely asked a number of times, like when, when did you decide that? Like, what? How did you know that? And I like joke. I'm like, it was just a feeling. But I, I mean, looking back, like I had no idea. That just felt really right there's no but that's what it is yeah
1: like there's no there's no articulating Mm -hmm. in logical terms why you felt that yeah yeah did he um yeah did he like tell you how how what were his (laughs) thoughts at the time
0: um i think he was like oh shit (laughs) What do I do? (laughs)
1: But but, I mean, you know, I love it because it's human. You know, in a movie, he says, "January, I've always loved you, and I always will." But that's not reality. Reality reality. is him processing and saying deep down somewhere, "Yeah, I can see that, and I Mm -hmm. think you're right." Like, I think you're right. In reality, is so much better than. I will always love you. Yeah, You know, that's what I love. That's what I like about it.
0: And it's, it's so telling of our personalities because I am, I mean, I think I am getting more and more grounded as I get older and get more in line with what's important to me. But, um, he is definitely very rooted in reality and I can be very dramatic and excited about life and adventurous and taking leaps and bounds. And, um, that makes us such a great team. Um, and I, I've seen that over the past almost eight years that we are a really great team.
1: Do you think if you, ha- if you hadn't done that then, mm-hmm. do you think you still would have ended up together?
0: I can't, it's, I can't envision my life without him. So I can't, I think regardless, it would have been not as cool of a story. <laughs> not at all. But I'm sure it probably, you know, it probably would have been as cool of a story with some other interesting um, juxtaposition or or interaction of emotion and feeling and conversation. Um, yeah. But I can't think of my life without him at this point. So I can't think that we would have not. Been together, yeah. and we've had breaks. Like in that eight years, we we definitely have taken time off and done some self exploration because I think committing to someone for the rest of your life when you're nineteen is a little kooky. Um, so it's important to kind of check out what else is around and yeah. you know who who are you? Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: Go eighteen year old
0: January. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. she had some. Serious ovaries or cojones or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, I mean you, you, you had or have
1: what we all have inside of us, and we don't always use it, but every once in a while there's that moment or there's something important enough or there's you something turns on and maybe. Our higher selves we give ourselves permission we say I need to do this I will you know maybe always regret or like I have for whatever reason I have to do this yeah and I can't explain this logically but it's a a feeling
0: totally totally and
1: it's clear in a way to you yeah it's clear
0: yeah 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 Um, but you were at you the initial question right was about these ripples and I think us being together um, has offered A lot again of perspective of where I've landed today. Um, During college, in those years of uncertainty and um, confusion, for most of it we were long distance. Okay. Um, and he got sick when I was um, like probably seven months after we'd been together. Um, he was re-diagnosed with what's called Cushing's, um, and it's a pituitary brain tumor. Um, so it's not cancerous, but it is theoretically terminal, um, and so we were dealing with that for a long time, um, with long distance and, like, going back and forth by coastal um, and right around our one-year anniversary, he had brain surgery, um, and we were living together in this little apartment in Boston, and just, like, going through that with him, um was terrifying. And I think people see us and think, they ask if we just started dating a lot of times. We're like really like have a lot of physical affection and are so close to each other eight years in. Um, and I think there was a really long time where I didn't know if he was gonna be around today. Um, and that was one of the things that that has driven me to know more about the human condition, human behavior, health in general. Um, It was the impetus for me to work at the clinic and to study medicine was I wanted to understand how this could possibly happen to someone so young and if there was any way that I could fix it. Um, And so studying medicine seemed like the way to do that but what became so real to me is that medicine wasn't that particular type of medicine like neuroscience and brain surgery and um allopathic medicine in general just wasn't my interest and also it has an absolute place in the way we do healthcare I think But I think a lot of it is really corrupt. Um, And in his situation, in the long run, after many years, um, surgery and radiation, he is so much better, which is really, really exciting. He's the healthiest he's ever been. Um, But that situation definitely led me closer to the path that I am today, but still not quite on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and today you are going to
0: school School mm-hmm. for <laughs> somatic psychotherapy.
1: Somatic psychotherapy. So tell me a little bit more about somatic psychotherapy and just first what that is, mm-hmm. but then also kind of how this, how this, how the focus kind of came into, hey, this is an area where a lot of these things come together.
0: Yeah. Um... It's funny in school. Everyone jokes that the worst question to be asked is "What is somatic psychotherapy?" Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it's such a can of worms, yeah. and yeah, so soma, so somatic psychotherapy, somatic
1: psychotherapy.
0: Um, I hesitate because mm-hmm. it.
1: I hesitate to define.
0: I do. I do. Um, basically. Listeners can't see that I'm squinching, squishing my face really tight right now to try yeah. to like, I'm thinking, I, my thinking I, I
1: could thing. describe the thinking, you, you just rubbed your face in, mm-hmm. in deep thought, you're yeah. looking, you have a faraway look.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think.
1: Contemplative yes. is the word.
0: Yeah, I, well I don't want to, I don't want to fuck it up, I don't want to say yeah. that it is something that hundreds of people are practicing and doing I don't want to define it in that way let's say you're not (laughs)
1: defining the field okay great you're you're just speaking on your own behalf
0: Okay, Um, on my own behalf I think somatic psychotherapy or the field that I'm getting into why I'm getting into it it's um, an opportunity for therapy um, to not only work with the mind um but to have a connection with the body. So in particular, um, it's looking at how the mind and the body are unified. Um, and in particular, when people have experienced hardship or trauma, um, we often disassociate with one or the other, the mind or the body. And there's oftentimes this break. And it, Also in our society, there's this, um, this level of importance placed on the mind, academia, intellect, so important, which it is, um, but the body is also a vessel for so much. Um, and oftentimes we don't respect it as such. So this work is really looking at how the mind and the body are one um and how life and human behavior in particular function within these two within the wholeness of the human body and the human mind. Um it makes so much sense to me which is why it's a little hard to explain and I think it's something that we don't really practice in our society um yeah yeah
1: okay so you're (laughs) so you're you're in the program I am for somatic psychotherapy yes and you're like almost done or you're not at all no no no
0: I'm one year in one year in and it's three years okay great and then after that you have to do I believe it's I should know this off the top of my head. I believe it's 3,000 hours of internship hours. Uh-huh. Um, so that would be similar to like a residency if you were just graduated med school. Yeah. Um, and you get those hours and then you get to take your test um, to be a certified. It would be a marriage family therapist uh, okay. or a licensed uh, professional clinical counselor. Um, and with that licensure you can practice talk therapy but then also so my program the somatic psychotherapy piece does allow for body work so um we're one of the only programs in the states that if there's any like you can do touch work um if you see that fit usually with more training um so like if you wanted to practice um, talk therapy and rolfing or physical therapy and talk therapy together like it's it's transferable to body work and talk Work um, and it just really like identifies the fact that we're a body and a mind, and those things are absolutely connected. Um, and especially in cases of trauma, there's, like I said earlier, just so much disassociating that happens. Um, and there's often like this big question mark of, like, why do I have chronic pain? Why do I have, you know, why can't I lose weight? Why do I look this way? Why do I um, hold myself in this way? why do my shoulders hurt? Why does my low back hurt? And we don't put a lot of value in how our life shapes us in our mind, but also in our body. Um, and I think if we can start doing that more, we're going to have a lot more, we're going to have a more enjoyable lifestyle as a society, but also we're going to have much healthier bodies and beings.
1: Yeah. And so you're moving towards being a professional in this field mm-hmm. where you could do talk therapy, but it also includes the body and mm-hmm. there's an opportunity to meld the two. Exactly. And this is, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the caveat. This is kind of a, kind of a funny question or like, okay, it's a, it's a little, it's a little trite, but I think it is important Yeah. and it doesn't need to be professionally. It can also just be personally, but like what, what would success look like to you? And I don't know what's a better word I can use than success. You know what I mean? <gasps> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I what? Do. what? It's like uh, that's not the phrasing I want, but yeah. that's the question I have.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's a fair question. Um, and I think I get I get the gist. I <laughs> get the gist from your face um, and your your hand motions. Yeah. Um, I think success or. Happiness or fulfillment? Yeah. Ooh, um,
1: that's ooh, that's closer. That's like closer. That. Fulfillment. Yeah. fulfillment. Okay. This yeah. Is better.
0: Um, I really want to be able to be there for people. Um, I'm learning in this program so much about myself and the fact that I am. I tend to be a highly empathetic person, which is actually. It's great, but it can be a little bit crippling in this field um, because if you're working with people who are have experienced a lot of trauma, like you can't break down while they're breaking down, right? Um, and so, I'm learning a lot about that and about human emotion and about how I can hold human emotion and be there for other people. And um, I think fulfillment will look like being able to be there for people who really need it and um, I think if I can function if I can serve others who are in need whether that's of being able to be honest about what's going on in their life if they don't have that opportunity to do that with anyone else or being there for families who are really struggling like Um, with their kids or with their marriages, and just to be able to offer um, an ear and some presence and some support around people's human behavior and human relationships, to me, that would be awesome. And if I can also, you know, be able to travel while (laughs) I do that, you know, like if I can afford to go on trips and um, see the world and... And be able to really be there for some communities. Um, I think that would be great.
1: What are you still most afraid of? Hmm.
0: That's such a good question. Um, I think I'm afraid of getting there and two, it's sort of two pieces of getting to this place where I'm working with people, working with families and doing what I've idolized to be the work that this work is Um, and if it doesn't feel like I'm actually making a difference to anyone and or if I'm doing it and I'm not feeling joy in my own life um but I pause there because I think I'm very I'm a very firm believer in the fact that we make our own joy and that we are we're responsible for our own happiness and for showing up and doing the work um and I I have no preconceived notions or um ideas that getting out of graduate school finishing my internship hours and practicing as a somatic psychotherapist um is going to like that i'm gonna graduate and be like great this is my happy degree i'm just i've done it all (laughs) excellent um i think i thrive off of the ebb and flow of life and that means that there will always be struggles. There will always be things that challenge me. There will always be things that I'm going to be afraid of. Um, But challenging those fears and like challenging those struggles and having conviction that what you're doing is for a good reason, that feels like the most important thing to me. And that feels like the thing that keeps me going. Um, And the thing that Helps guide me. Yeah.
1: What are you What are you most excited about right now?
0: Right now.
1: Like in your life. In my life. Yeah, yeah. Right now. <laughs> <So> <laughs> no, no, that was, oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: so many things, Bill. Um. I am really. I am really excited to be in school. I love learning, and. Um, we do these practice sessions. I'm so not qualified to actually give therapy to anyone right now, right? Because I've only been in school for a semester and a half. Um, but I'm...
1: I, I don't think that makes you totally unqualified. Uh, I think that I think may be professionally uncertified. Absolutely.
0: But. Ethically questionable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we have... I'm in a class called therapeutic communication. And we have pra- practice sessions in that class. And um, those sessions, being able to be with another human who's just bearing their soul in ways um, and being able to show up and just be there with them for them but not even really for them just with them I think that's a huge piece of the role of therapist is you're allowing yourself to be with someone in a way that I think we miss a lot as humans and being in that class, um, as much as some, some days school can feel like it's this intense theoretical bubble that I can't quite get into, um, I'm reminded that there's such a need, and that feels really important and exciting that I'm doing this work.
1: Who would you like to thank? who probably doesn't know how much they helped you?
0: Um, I have this friend, Chemi, and she's Tibetan. Um, and we were f- roommates my freshman year of college. And I think her and I are still really good friends. Um, but there was a period in our life where we were both really struggling Um, as I think young adults often do. And by being able to work with her and struggle at the same time and see mirroring, I think it really guided me into the role that I'm going into today because it reminded me that regardless of what's going on in my life, I can show up for others. Um, And she's also just like this incredible human. So, I would definitely want to thank her. Nice. Yeah.
1: If you had a piece of advice to give to younger January, (laughs) what would it be?
0: Um, I feel like it resonates with thematically, this entire conversation, which is just that we have so much time. Like, I would, I feel like 40-year-old January will say that to (laughs) 27-year-old January. Because there are these moments where I'm like, I need to do all of this. Like, do I, like do I want to have a family do I want to you know buy a house someday do I want to move do I want where do I want to live am I going to get married like all of these questions that like cycle through our heads particularly I say in our 20s because I haven't even gotten into my 30s I'm sure they're there then also um and I just like want to keep reminding myself to just do a check-in and be like hey you're really really young you have like a year is a lot of time and also not so much time like it's you have time, like don't be afraid, don't worry, don't get don't psych yourself up. Um, and I think that's the guidance I imagine my grandmother would have given me as well of just her life gave me that guidance, you know, yeah, um, yeah,
1: if you had to title your autobiography, <laughs> what would the title be?
0: I don't know um.
1: I, I wrote something down. Oh, just be, great. When you were talking, uh-huh. see see if this okay. resonates. Okay. Being there. Hmm.
0: Yeah. That would work. There's no
1: pressure to take that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. I mean, I think presence is so important, and being there definitely describes that. Um, there's a movie or something that's named that which is why i'm like thinking i'm like
1: there's so, something cheesy we're not thinking of that's named being there that we don't want to I feel associate like it was, like, a J-
0: jonathan saffron Fower novel or something um or like a movie microglia was in <laughs> yes i think it was ira glass right is that that movie no that's not that movie um now i'm so curious
1: should we do a quick search yeah just before we
0: i'm just curious i like being there but i do love that as a title I'm honored that you you deduced that from our conversation.
1: I think we should just we are both on our phones searching being there to see if if there is a what other works <laughs> currently hold that title. There's a 1979
0: drama. Oh, that's what I that oh. movie is so good. Really? Have you not seen it? I have not. I highly recommend everyone watch this movie with Peter Sellers. Yeah. He's the god in a
1: the god. Yeah, so this is actually turned into a recommendation yep. for being there. 1979 drama featuring Peter Sellers.
0: Received 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, 4 and 4 from Roger and Ebert. and 8 out of 10 off of IMDB. This is great. Excellent. Perfect. I hope this is my... I want everyone to watch this movie and and think this is my life story. I am going to <laughs> rent this movie. It's really good. And,
1: and check this out. I'm
0: pretty sure it's on
1: Netflix. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, Well. perfect. Excellent. January, this has been great.
0: It's been re- wonderful.
1: Re- really, really enjoyed this. Thank
0: you.